You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 106, featuring Alexandra Paul from the movie Christine. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, meet Hollywood actress, environmentalist, and electric car fan, Alexandra Paul. Most of you will remember her as Arnie Cunningham's girlfriend, Lee Cabot, in the 1983 film, Christine, based on the Stephen King novel. How we all remember that red-painted Mechanical Menace, a 1958 Plymouth Fury. You'll hear all about Alexandra's memories from on and off the Christine set, as well as what she's working on now. Additionally, you'll hear about her passion for electric cars and the environmentally friendly rods she's driven over the years. It's time to head out to sunny California. So, let's get revved up. Hello and welcome back to your, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren. This is episode 106, and we get a chance to speak with Hollywood actress and electric car supporter, Alexandra Paul. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode as the vehicles discussed really range quite full gamut from the famous 1958 Plymouth Fury from the silver screen to General Motors EV1. But first, I'd like to send out a special thanks to Mike Garland and our friends at Carlisle Events for all their support. Be sure to keep checking their schedule on carlisleevents.com. In light of the pandemic, they are doing everything possible to make sure that we have a great 2020 car show season here in Carlisle. And I know that everyone, wherever you are, and all the car shows you attend, I know we're all anxious to get back out there. And we'll have more on that here in a moment. And also want to say, a big thank you and a shout out to the entire team at Porsche Mechanicsburg. Before we head to Southern Cali to speak with Alexander, I wanted just to tell all the listeners out there that the Courage Virtual Car Show has launched. We all can't wait to get out and attend those perennial car shows like I said a moment ago, but until then, we have a fun diversion for you, and that is the Courage Car Show. By the way, that acronym stands for Car Owners United, rallying against global epidemics, is ready to go. The really cool thing about this is every single dollar raised in registration entries and donations will go to the charity Feeding America. To get rolling, simply go to www.carsofcarlisle.com, click on the Virtual Car Show tab, or you can even click on the license plate in the upper left corner of the splash page. It looks like a PA plate. Then click on the ignition switch, and that will take you to the virtual show field, which is like a bit of an interactive map. So you can register your car or cars easily online for a small donation that goes, again, all the money goes to Feeding America. And that's going to take us right up to Memorial Day weekend, May 23rd, when the event comes together. We're going to be working on having celebrity judges, prizes, tons of online cars for you to uh, do that virtual walk around, if you will. So why not go to the Courage Garage where you can post and blog with other car connoisseurs or go to the show field page where we have all really virtually parked all the entries in the show. 
So please help us support others less fortunate while enjoying what we all share in common, and that is the love for cars and vehicles. Okay, it's that time for this week's trivia question, so here we go. Although there are varying sources to this and many different estimations, roughly how many cars were wrangled to play the role of Christine in the movie Christine? We'll have that answer for you at the end of the show. So now it's time to speak with Alexandra. Hello, Cubers. This is Darren, and I am on the phone with Alexandra Paul. Alexandra, thank you for joining today from the West Coast. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to be on your show. Well, very much appreciate it. As a professional actress, a licensed life coach, an activist, an environmentalist, former model, among many other activities, you are seemingly as, be- as truly as busy as ever, and I appreciate the fact that you're giving 30, 40 minutes to this show and, and out of your busy schedule, so thank you so much. You're very welcome. And I know that it's funny. I am, I am still busy, even though it's um, you know we're in, still in lockdown in California. Now I understand. In fact, I think you were saying on Thursdays you help those less fortunate, and so it, you're you're staying involved and and doing good causes and and uh, being out there. How has that been going? Um, yeah, I, I volunteer for an organization called Food Not Bombs. They actually have over 600 chapters around the world. So there might be a chapter near you. Uh, and we uh, we feed hot meals to anybody who's hungry on Thursdays. And it, it's usually, the for us, it's the homeless population. Mm-hmm. And so the homeless population hasn't gotten larger because of this crisis, um, unlike the organizations who are feeding families that are feeding families. There are many more families that have that need food, but the homeless are still homeless. Uh, and their situation hasn't changed much, except for that it's harder to get food now because so many churches um, and other organizations aren't, uh, well, they aren't active, but we've remained active. So um, we have a little uptick, a bit of an uptick in clients that whom we feed, and we definitely have, we you know, lost a lot of volunteers and a lot of food donations because of places being closed and shelves being wiped mm. out anyway. There wasn't mm. a lot to donate. But we're managing. <laughs> well, I'm sure. How have you found that, um, that again, your, your guests that are coming through each week, how are they doing amongst everything with everything that's happening in the pandemic? And are they taking, are able to take their precautions and, and staying well for the most part? You know, I actually am doing the dishes when we we, we transitioned from a buffet style where Mm -hmm. people came, chose what they wanted, and then sat down. Um, And, of course, we couldn't do that anymore. So now we're doing a takeout style, which is um, just because of the transition, it it takes a lot more time. So I don't have interaction now with the folks whom we feed. I have to do the dishes. (laughs) And um, so I haven't, I haven't had a chance to talk to a lot of them, but some of them whom I know, I think the hardest thing is not being able the libraries are closed. The public bathrooms are closed. Parks are closed. Places to charge their phones. Most of them have phones. So just because you are homeless doesn't mean you have, you could have some money. You just don't have enough money to get a, get a place to live. Um, 
So that's really challenging. The Salvation Army, where we feed out of, they actually have days where they let people come in and, and uh, uh, charge their phones for an hour, and then they do a rotating uh, schedule. But, you know, that's, for those of us, we know, I, I, I charge my phone fully every night. So mm-hmm. right. an hour is just not enough. Uh, a day one day a week um so it's uh that that can be hard for them i think and you make a very good point about just the fact of um public restrooms and just the the things that we take for granted maybe being able to use a a water fountain and during a hot afternoon whatever it might be and and it's it really has turned uh, things on its on its ear right now for sure yeah and and the places that they normally might sleep like parks, um, and for us, trails and beaches, they, they can't. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult, especially in L.A. We have, we have a lot of homeless folks. And, um, but the good thing is the city and I um, has opened up these places where people can go and sleep and the cots are six feet apart and they really try hard to maintain social distance. You know, people have masks. I, I wonder, like, where do they get that mask? You know? right. um, but people do have, they have masks because they cannot go into a grocery store in L.A. without a mask on. We mm-hmm. have to be masked when we're outside here. That's similar so, to Pennsylvania. Unless we're exercising. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. much so. Well, thoughts and prayers are with them. And many will likely know you, and as this is, of course, a, a car focused podcast and we have you have a podcast of your own which we're going to talk about here towards the the latter part of this interview but many will most definitely know you best through of course Baywatch as Lieutenant Stephanie Holden but other works including 1987's Dragnet film Um, but car fans and I just actually spoke with a gentleman who's going to be an interview coming up here in a few weeks who went with his father in 1983 to see the movie Christine and because of that movie he became a Plymouth fan, the, uh, the 58 Fury and some other things. But he said that sitting in that theater, seeing that movie uh, made him a lifelong Mopar fan. And uh, which was kind of interesting because it's a bit of a tie to this episode. And in that, for those that may or may not know, you played uh, certainly Lee Cabot, who was uh, Arnie Cunningham or played by Keith Gordon in uh, in Christine. So... For those that know, that can car aficionados will know that a red painted uh, Fury would not have been a, a factory color and some other specifics. But obviously, anyone that's not even a car fan will remember that for Stephen King's uh, brainchild and the fact of that mechanical menace and all that. So, what was it like? If, <laughs> you know, if you can share, um, what was it like filming Christine? As far as just the cast and and just everything behind it, I think people find that fascinating. To it's beyond what they could perhaps read about. I want to comment first on on uh, you speaking to a guest um, who went with his father. I've been to Carlisle Car Show and signed autographs there, and been to um, autograph signings uh, at horror shows because Christine is mm. also considered um, a horror film and. We, I hear that a lot about people going with their fathers specifically and <laughs> falling in love with uh, old cars or Mopar yeah. and it's, it's so and then create you know rebuilding cars with their father and, and having really fond memories because of the relationship that sure. that helped foster with their dad. So sure. that that's interesting that your guest, uh, your future guest, is. Um, 
it, it falls into that too. Uh, I love shooting the movie, Christine. I was 19 at the time and I'm 56 now, so it was a long time ago, but it remains interestingly. I've, um, starred in over 75 movies and TV shows and have a hundred, uh, movies and television shows to my name and I get more residuals from Christine than I do any other project. Wow. I mean, Baywatch, I get, I think overall, maybe financially I get more and it's not a lot, you know, none of us make, get rich off residuals, but it's just so interesting to see that check come in and, and it be from Christine. I uh, always have a warm feeling about that because it was my first feature film. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved shooting it. I, I have to admit, I didn't know much about John Carpenter, even though he'd already done Halloween by then. Um, and I hadn't read a Stephen King book because it was too scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I, I um so uh and I wasn't a car person so I didn't uh, but when I, I read the book obviously before getting cast and I really liked it um and it was a terrific experience um as a young actor I don't, I never expected the film to have legs like it does it still plays all the time and it doesn't seem to have it, you know, it is it, aged very well. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, like I've aged. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's. I mean, a great way to say it. In fact, I know that it almost remains as popular now as it did all those years ago. And the fact there is a, a cult following. And in fact, uh, I too have run into a lot of people at car shows or just through this podcast. That, to your point, and just like this other guests, they they have that connection of I saw it at the drive-in. I. I uh, was on a date and I and they just my date was very scared or whatever it might be but everybody can prim, pretty much remembers how they first saw it when they first saw it um there's a lot of uh, uh of committed fans to that particular movie It wasn't a, it was not a big budget movie although it did have 23 uh might be off by a car to it it had 23 cars that it used mm -hmm. um and they were found by calling the dmv back then you could call the dmv and get more information than you can now um after an actress was shot by a stalker after he went to the dmv and got her address they really clamped down on that kind of information but back then you could say can you give me the names of people who own 58 to the fury sure. and, and there you go they would give it to you so they went around the country and they found Furies in, in different states of repair, and depending upon how good it looked, it was either uh, an early version of uh, a version of Christine in the early part of the movie mm -hmm. or the, the latter part of the movie, mm -hmm. and they switched out parts uh, depending upon what they needed to. Uh, I, the call sheet reads some often would read "Muscle Christine One," or I can't remember what they called the Christines that didn't run. There were several that didn't run that were used to either sit in the garage or. Um, sitting in the grassy field before Arnie bought her. Okay. Um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, and 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 all but two were destroyed in the filming. Wow. Or three, maybe. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's not uncommon uh, for a lot of car movies too. Um, but still, it's to the point that you said that they had to have two, three dozen of the vehicles. And I know too through my research. Um, Prior to this interview and some other things, they had to use other Plymouth models and some things and perhaps change out some badging or uh, some chrome pieces or what have you to make it look close enough, particularly from maybe a 
25 or 30 yard shot uh, film shot that you may not pick up on it particularly if the vehicle was moving or in an action scene but you're right there's a lot going into that and uh, the logistics of of uh, of any film sometimes are, are not fully appreciated yeah i know really the um the christine was able to uh for those who haven't seen the film was able to regenerate and uh back then in 83 you know cgi this, oh, it wasn't yeah. cgi we actually blew her back up again with hydraulics and using, uh, I think it was rubber plastic bumpers mm -hmm. and uh, fenders and things. And uh, so it was really state of the art. Yeah, it was. In fact, I rewatched that scene in particular just a few days ago. And it, to your point, much you know, before anything that could be animated, um, the one, you know, all but one headlight were, was out. It was idling rough. And then to your point, here it comes back to life again. You can see the, the sheet metal straightening. Um, and then, of course, the, the song playing on the, on the radio always added a, another sense of uh, eeriness to everything. Uh, but for sure, it, it was definitely a scene that yeah. uh, was ahead of its time. I think what they did was actually, and I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure um, they... They played the car, the the film backwards because blowing it back up was harder than, um, what you know, uh, crushing it mm -hmm. and then playing it backwards gotcha. so that it looked like it was regenerating. Right. Uh, but you know, as an actor, especially as an actor on my first film, I wasn't paying attention to any of that uh, car stuff because I was <laughs> right. Lee Lee who played the who was the lead female besides Christine. Um, uh, I was um, involved with the acting part and the relationship with my co-stars, uh, you know, the other uh, characters in the film. Sure. Do you still have uh, good rapport with some of your original cast members? Oh, yes. I love to go on, um, you know, autograph signings uh, with uh, Malcolm Denaire or Steve Tash. They played the bad boys. Um uh, I love Keith. He lives not too far from me. I saw him maybe mm, three months ago. Okay, uh, I think. Um, and uh, and then um, uh, Bill Ostrander, uh, who plays Buddy. He plays Buddy Repperton. Okay. Um, so he, uh, yeah, we're very close. He and I. We we dated for um, two years after the film, during the filming, and after. Okay. And so we've been, and we're now friends and. I see him quite often. He's had kids, and uh, he's about to get married, remarried, so it's, he's doing really well. Well, that's great. Are there particular standout memories from onset or um, maybe in the back lot or anything like that that perhaps maybe, and these are questions you may have been asked, and I know you are a friend to Carlisle Events and Mike Garland and, and many others uh, are so uh, so appreciative of you being willing to to stay active and and uh, to sign autographs and talk to fans because this uh, this film has uh, carried on for many many decades past uh, its original screening. But are there standout memories during the filming that you wanted to share? Well, I you know I've told these stories before, and I hope your listeners um, uh, you know don't get bored with me. Sure. But, um, 
if they've been to uh, uh, an interview or something at Carlisle or any of the other shows that I've been to. Um, but, well, this last scene, when I am fighting Christine alongside my co-star, John, John Stockwell. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's in, I believe, my, the, the front end loader, the, the construction equipment. Yes, when we're when we're when we're doing that, we're driving equipment, and my character is supposed to drive that big. Can, what did you call it? I don't even know what's called. Oh, like a front end, like a front end loader. That I guess like like the death on yeah. wheels scene at the very end there. Yes. Yes, a front end loader. So anyway, um, I had only been in Hollywood for gosh, less than a year, maybe about a year, um, and I had I had done a couple other things before that, but. You know, I, there was there was no internet. You couldn't look me up and find out about my family life and stuff. But I have an identical twin sister. Right. And when we were in high school, we went to different schools. When we were in high school, I went to her school and pretended I was I was she. <laughs> I was my sister Caroline and fooled everybody when she had to do a speech on on stage. I pretended I was her. I did her speech. And um, and so anyway, it was time for payback. And Caroline. Um, <laughs> we decided that she would come onto the set of Christine and shoot a scene um, pretending, and she would pretend she was me. <laughs> so we had the makeup and hair and wardrobe people in the know, plus my co-star, John Stockwell, okay. and the first AD, because they run the show, basically, sure. getting actors onto the set. So those that four people, five people knew, <laughs> and my sister came into the makeup show, she wore my stunt double clothes, so they were the same clothes, exactly the same as I was wearing at that time. And then the, uh, the uh, hair and makeup people did her hair and makeup, and then Stockwell walked her out to the set, which was the garage, and along the way, he would tell her, like, okay, here's the director coming towards you, you know, mm-hmm, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So um, there's actually a really funny still shot that somebody took of my sister sitting in that front loader because she's about to shoot a scene. And there's a picture of John Carpenter, the director, looking up with her, kind of with a confused look on his face. And I asked him later, I said, what? Did you, did you know that it was me, that it wasn't me? And he goes, you know, when, when she said hello, it just sounded different. She said hello <laughs> in a different way, and I thought you weren't feeling well that day. So anyway, uh, Caroline shoots the scene, which is actually just a close-up of uh, uh, my character's foot. So they shoot her foot uh, smashing down on the on the accelerator, I guess, to go after Christine. Okay. And then after after uh, that is shot, uh, I walked out onto the set and said to John, "What have you fired me already?" And so they're looking like, "Oh my God, there's two of her." They had no idea how to twin. So anyway, that was fun. Uh, and John cool. had a really, oh, John had a very good sense of humor. Um, was it John? I think it was John. The producer used to come to the set with a very fancy car. And um, I think it was a Porsche. And he would cover it to protect it during the day um, from, I guess, just the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so John... At lunchtime, John switched out his car and put another car underneath oh, the um, that tarp, and then proceeded to uh, have a big one of the, I guess it was maybe that front loader uh, just literally 
just go crash into it. Oh. And the producer had a fit. <laughs> I wasn't there that day, so I don't remember. But that's what—that's the wow. story that Malcolm and Stephen tell. Yeah. Wow. So there can be fun times on the set. So. I can see that. That's great. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Well, I, and I know that we've talked and, and uh, certainly you have with life coach and activism and everything, you know, cars are not at the very, very center uh, like they are with a, a lot of people. But do you have any, any favorite cars from your childhood or teenage years? Maybe more to, you made a really good point, and that's what I think uh, a lot of my listeners can relate to in the sense that... Um, it is the relationship with other people. It might be fond memories of going somewhere with a, a grandparent in a station wagon, or it might be family trips and what have you. But for you, were there any any fond memories of the automobile world from just uh, long treks or cross-country trips or anything along the, that way? Um, no, I remember my family had a Buick, a uh, Buick station wagon, so that mm-hmm. typical long, sort of flat-looking car. Sure. Um, but and we had a red Peugeot because we lived in Europe for a while. Okay. We had a red Peugeot uh, hatchback. But um, yeah, you know, my heart lies with electric cars, Darren. I know. So, that's, I think um, that's a good thing. <laughs> I can only wax poetic about my electric cars. No, and I, I think that's really I would like to be able to share with the Cars of Carlisle listeners more of what's happening in the EV world has happened. Uh, certainly, we're all aware of, of Tesla and, and where things are now. Uh, you and I talked a few days back how Porsche just released its first all-electric uh, vehicle. And I know you've been involved with electric cars really going back to 19. 19- uh, 90 and uh, you and I rewatched it uh, over the weekend actually the 2006 documentary who killed the electric car and that was uh, filmmaker Chris Payne had gone through to really show the volatility of electric uh, electrified cars GM's EV1 and then just the controversial way that they were all being gathered back up and what have you and I and you were in that film uh, throughout so how did you first become involved with that project and let's talk a little bit about your passion for electrified and, and alternative source vehicles. Go sure, ahead. sure. Um, I've been an environmentalist since I was a kid. So I look, I look at the world through an environmental eye, um, and w- how everything affects the planet and its well-being. Mm-hmm. So when I was seven, I wrote to President Nixon asking him to stop pollution, and. I got a letter back with his signature, and so that really gave empowered sure. me to, <laughs> to. My credo really became that there's a lot of power in just one person. We can make a difference. And yes, a couple of days later, my sister got a letter also because she'd written to him, and it was the exact same letter. <laughs> and I did realize that it was a stamp. Sure. But um, but that was the beginning of my activism as as an environmentalist. And in 1989, Exxon Valdez uh, went to ground, mm-hmm. and um, so much oil went into Prince Edward Sound uh, up in Alaska and just ruined pristine ocean. Mm-hmm. I at first wrote on the back of my GMC Jimmy, uh, you know, boycott Exxon. 
and I was I was angry. And then my I realized, wait a second, I'm the reason that Exxon Valdez tanker was out there carrying oil. Mm-hmm. It was bringing oil to me in my car, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And I got off my high horse and decided I needed to be part of the solution instead of just complaining um, and blaming. So I, um, I, in 1990, I found actually Ed Bagley, um, the actor Ed Bagley. Mm-hmm. I called him and asked him where he got his electric car, and it was a conversion. And I got and I bought a, one from that same guy's garage in Santa Rosa, California, and it was full of lithium, uh, sorry, um, what are the, the little, you know, regular batteries? What are they called? <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, the, the, the regular that you have in a car, and sure. you, every car has them, and the 8 volts or whatever. Yeah. So, um, so that was just, so they'd, they'd taken an old Datsun, and they'd, that had a bad motor, and they'd put in batteries, and that was what I drove, and it got 25 miles Per charge, and okay. I had to uh, put water in the batteries every every week um, and plug it in in a you know just in a regular outlet, and I loved it. <clears throat> and then my second car was another conversion, and then I got the EV1, uh, which I was an amazing car. It went over a hundred miles per charge, and it was built specifically to be electric. It wasn't a conversion, and so it. It was the best car I'd ever driven. The best car many people had ever driven. Mm-hmm. And so when GM decided that they didn't have to uh, build it anymore because California stopped mandating them to build electric cars, mm-hmm. um, they, they started crushing them. Right. And that was when I became an activist for electric cars. I had always been an activist for other issues in the environment, but I'd never thought much about cars. And mm-hmm. um, so, I, you know... Uh, that, that's how I became involved in the film. Oh, I know how I actually became involved in the film is because when we found out where they were pulling the, where they were holding all these beautiful, new, pristine right. EV1s and were taking them to the crusher to be crushed. Right. Um, and then actually the, gr- then a, held- the grinder, like the, the, not only just were they crushed, then they were ground into inch by inch specks of metal. Yeah. And by then, my EV1 had been taken away because we couldn't buy them. We could only lease them, and they wouldn't release to me. And because I was one of the first, I actually got the first EV1, the first car, car number 37, wow. that was uh, leased to a, um, you know, a, a public citizen. Okay. Um, uh, you know, they took that, and I just love that car so much. I cried when they, when they put it, they, they towed it from my house. Oh, wow. um, and they put it on the tow truck because I guess they didn't want to drive it anyway um so we we um activists who cared about these cars we had a uh, we ended up um vigiling outside that gm facility for 27 days straight 24 hours a day and i and i went there almost every day every morning from five to nine was my shift just waiting and watching to see if they would bring the crusher. Um, and when they did on the 27th day, um, uh, I and another activist blocked that crusher um, with our, with our ele- another electric car, the RAV4 mm-hmm. EV. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then I was hauled off to jail and had to do 100, 100 hours of community service. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I did partly... Um, 
actually going to Louisiana and helping with animals in uh, uh, save them from Katrina and oh, when they wow. or, or take care of them when they were in the um, in the uh, in the facilities the, the shelters sure uh, from Katrina so it was it was uh, yeah electric cars I I love electric cars. Well, and I know that you, not fully, not like the EV1, but you were also uh, spokesperson for Chevrolet for the Volt, correct? I was, interestingly, um, even though I had been such a bee in the bonnet of GM because they were crushing their EV1s, and, you know, I had to go to, to trial for it. Um, so I, I, I think what... By 2011, because this was this happened in 2005. Mm-hmm. By 2011, GM, to their credit, by the way, once again came out with an innovative car. They were the first. GM was the first car company who, when they made the EV1, it was the first car company to make an, an electric car for, uh, uh, from the ground up. Mm-hmm. A, an OEM, um, you know, right, company of making of it from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So you've got to give them so much credit. So even though they crushed them in the end, I had so much respect for their um, their technology and, and the, the commitment that they made because most of the other car companies that were mandated to electrify their cars for the California market uh, just, you know, took out the, the gas motor and every one of them except for GM uh, and put in a battery. So mm-hmm. they, those cars were not nearly as um, as beautifully beautiful to drive mm-hmm. as the EV1. So when they came out with the Volt, which was a um, a hybrid, but not a hybrid like the like the Toyota hybrid, it was a, ser- a serial hybrid. So it went on electric solely for, for, well, the first incarnation went for 43 miles. The second incarnation went for 70 miles, mm-hmm. just completely on electric. And right. then after you were done with that, it would it, the gas motor would kick in for another 300 miles. So it was a great car because most people don't drive very far That's right. each day. Maybe 16, I can't remember what the average driving is, but, um, you know, here in LA, we drive, we do drive quite a bit and I live a little ways out. So I guess probably, I drove an average of about 50 miles a day, but I still was able to stand electric 95% of my driving because the Volt didn't go into gas until, mm-hmm. you know, 60 or 70 miles. Mm-hmm. So um, so they asked me to be the spokesperson. I think they realized I was credible if because right. I had protested their car. It was a pretty gutsy move on their part, but I, I was completely happy to do it because, once again, they'd made a completely innovative car that was great for so many more people who were afraid of, had range anxiety and stuff right. like that. So right. I had a 2011 car. Um, and then I, um, and that came with my contract with, with GM. Um, so, but I also leased it again on my own just to show you how can I like that car. Sure, right. Um, and now I drive a Chevy Bolt, which is a full electric car, which goes, um, over 270 miles on an electric charge. So we've come a long way in the last decade Absolutely. with electric cars. And you, you actually, uh, that's great that you covered one of my questions I was going to ask, and that is just what other uh, alternative fuel or electric vehicles have you owned, and, and you just covered it with uh, – the that's currently in your garage now, correct? Yes, the Chevy Bolt's in my garage. My husband has a has a has an electric Chevy Spark, mm-hmm. 
hmm. um, which is not made anymore. So he actually, he had leased his, and he loved it so much that it goes about 90 miles per charge. Okay. And, you know, in a two-car garage, you only need really one car that goes, usually, 99.9% .9 of Americans, if they have two cars, only one can be used for long travel. Usually, not both people in the family travel really, really far. Sure. Right, Let's hope not, at least, right? Of course. Um, um, so he he actually after he couldn't release the Chevy Spark. He went and found a used Chevy Spark, and that's what he drives because he likes it so much. And you know, we just don't need to have two cars with two hundred and seventy mile range. And that's exactly uh, right. Um, so, and then we had the Rav Four EV, which we had for. 13 years and it was an amazing amazing car i loved that car so much also and i know Although my heart really does belong with the ev1 well, <laughs> it's the ev1 so. had such a unique look to it uh with the skirted rear wheels uh and just uh it like you said it was it was designed from the ground up as it was and and i know in the film and uh, i i haven't ever had to spend any time in or near one but just how as a true electric car quiet and serene and you were essentially cocooned in this pleasant atmosphere yeah it's uh, very zen it's very fast it could be pretty much any car on the line when if you were at stoplight mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. pretty much any car it was so fast <laughs> um and you know you you can see well the tesla has changed things because people the thing that was important about the EV1 was that it showed people that electric cars are not just golf carts. Right. Um, and electric vehicles are not just golf carts. And so that was the first car to do it. And of course, Tesla then went mainstream with it and improved on it. But the EV1 really, it, it was the first. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so great. And it, tell me again, was it... Um the 36 one off the line that you owned? 37. 37. 37th. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Cool. 37th. Um, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful forest green. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I had never been a car person really until the EV1. I became very attached emotionally to the EV1. Sure. Um, and they did not allow us to buy them. We could only lease them. I would have bought an EV1 in a, in a second. Right. Yeah. Wow. Now, and I, I know that it was, uh, as you said, it, it changed, it changed the whole acceptance in a way, um, of just mainstream, yeah. uh, mainstream America for the most part. Are there, yeah. and my, and my, my, my Volt was the fifth one. I got the fifth one off the oh, line. My word. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know what? I'm, I'm just, I'm wasted on cars because I, I banged that thing up so badly. All of your listeners would just be horrified <laughs> that, you know, car number uh, number five was treated like that. <laughs> it was so, transportation. Anyway. Yeah. It got you where you needed to be, and you were taking care of Mother Earth while doing it. So I understand. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Are there other... Uh -huh. And I had a... It was so early on. And, you know, with the EV1, I couldn't go... I couldn't go anywhere without getting stopped. I would come home late so much because people, I'd, I'd come out of the store and people would be around the EV1 <laughs> looking at it. They were so curious and open. And their biggest fear was, you know, what if you want to go to Vegas? 
Uh, which, you know, I'm thinking, well, how often do you go to Vegas? If I want to go to Vegas, I'll just rent a car for that one or two times a year sure. I go to Vegas, sure, right, sure. for $30 a day. Um, but now there's there's less of an issue about that because the range is so much better in electric cars. But Americans do have this feeling that we drive, that somehow we want to be able to drive wherever we want, whenever we want. And so that kind of thing uh, means that electric cars, you know, it's it's all about, well, what if you want to go on a trip across America? And then my answer would be, well, you could do it in an electric car, but it would be a different experience, and it would be a beautiful experience, but it definitely would be better if you want to rush across America. You wouldn't be able to use an electric car. So for that, you might, you would rent a car, or mm-hmm. if in a two-car garage, one would be gas and one would be electric, at least now. Sure. Um, so... But the, but the advantages to an electric car, I think we've become so used to the disadvantages of a gas car. All the moving parts, electric cars have so many, so fewer mm-hmm. moving parts that it's less apt to break. I never brought my um, RAV4 in for anything but a tire rotation. And then the battery did go at 100,000 miles, okay. and I had a new battery put in. But I never had any tune-ups. There's no... T- transmission there's no oil and we forget about when, when we're used to something like a gas car we we forgive it it's it's um drawbacks and we get so used to it so mm-hmm. the noise the smell the pollution mm-hmm. the fact that it shakes when you when you you're you're moving a, a gas car is completely silent and still mm-hmm. when you're not moving sorry it shakes when you're not moving mm-hmm. an electric car is completely completely still when you're when you're at a stoplight um, we for, we forget about the um, the drawbacks of the gas car, and, and we and yet the drawbacks of the new technology really stand out to us. Well, sure, yeah, and that's that's a, a valid point. I know that was even highlighted in the in the Who Killed the Electric Car, where uh, the mechanic was showing a every five thousand miles an EV one would come in a tire rotation, windshield washer fluid topped off, and okay, out you go. So it was very different. And he had clean hands. I think he showed his <laughs> yes, hands. Yes, right. Me? That, like, that was, look. <laughs> yep, that was part of it. Yeah, he held them up to the camera. Exactly. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> that. Well, thank you. And again, it's. I think it's good just to realize, too, that uh, when you made the point about that instant torque, that's hard to hard to miss. I know that um, having driven that, that Porsche Taycan, the, the acceleration is unlike anything of any car I've driven. It it is extraordinary. So there's still a lot of thrill and and have to uh can't can't ignore that fact. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people like the sound. Um I personally don't like the se- the noise. I I look forward to a day when we don't have that low hum everywhere because mm-hmm. of cars i i prefer the silence so we can hear the birds and the wind mm-hmm. and so electric cars would be so great for that mm-hmm. um but but now listen right now the technology is um if you were to do a you know the le mans race the electric car would not be able to compete so mm-hmm. gas cars still uh would reign supreme in the longer distances um, but there's, but a, there's a lot of hybrid technology happening, though, on uh, the GT1, GT2 circuits and things, though, and, and I can see where the tides are shifting. 
So yeah, I hope so. Um, I don't know. Have you interviewed Leilani Munter? Uh, she is a race car driver, and she um, she was she had um, she she didn't race the. I wonder if she did race the Tesla at one point. Okay, but she has a Tesla and is very much an environmentalist, and uh, she um, she talks a lot about how how amazing the technology is to uh, of electric cars, and she she races. Um, oh gosh, Indian, uh, what is it, Indy car races mm-hmm. and stuff. She was a very good racer. Okay. And so she, you know, she appreciates going fast, but she loves the technology of electric. So, oh, sure. uh, one of the things that people, um, always thought was that the people driving electric cars early on were just these hippy dippy environmentalists, mm-hmm. but actually the, Mo- the biggest demographic of EV drivers in the uh, 90s and early 2000s were the techies who so appreciated the technology. Sure. And then the environmentalists came after that. Right. And then, you know, a lot of uh, one, another great reason to switch to electric is um, is that we don't have to be dependent on oil and gas from other countries. Um, and that's a national security issue. So even conservatives who are not at all hippy-dippy, um, uh, they appreciate the electric car, too, because of the national security um, implications. Well, certainly. Yeah, understandable. And the fact that we can uh, perhaps stand on our own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Re- renewable sources. Yeah. No, yep. Uh, Solar panels on your roof, charging your car, and you know what? You never have to worry about, you know, big electricity or big oil or anything again. You can be independent. Mm-hmm. Right. Brewery free. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we wrap, I want to uh, let my listeners know, fans of this podcast that listen each and every week, uh, it goes live every Tuesday night and some download Wednesday morning, but... Um, you have been doing a podcast called Switch for Good, and that's with your friend, Olympic medalist Dotsie Bausch. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, how you are helping people live their very best uh, and healthiest lives? Oh, thank you for asking. Now, I know, uh, you know, we've talked, you and I, that there's this um, stereotype that car people don't, you know, aren't necessarily caring about their health or their diet. But what I've seen is that as a health coach, because I am a health coach also, um, is that everybody really does care about their health and they do want to get healthier. It's just hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so um, Dotsie and I started a podcast called Switch 4. It's the digit 4, so Switch for Good. And we um, interview people, experts, athletes, nutritionists, doctors, celebrities about plant-based diets and how eating um, more plants, more fruit, um, more vegetables, uh, and not, not eating as much meat and dairy can enhance your life. So if anybody's interested, um, I think they'll enjoy it and learn stuff. Uh, we, we do interview. It's very fact-based, but also, you know, Dotsie and I chat about our, our lives and things, too, um, and how we overcame um, certain uh, challenges in terms of eating health, healthily and being healthy. And I've subscribed to it, and I and I have enjoyed everything from you've interviewed um, the doctor about the whole COVID situation and and the wet market, and talking about just to your point again about diet and how just making even modest changes you'll soon feel the effect. 
I mean, you have done uh, Ironman triathlons and ultra-distance swims all over the world and competed in incredible endurance events, ultra-distance events and such, and uh, you are essentially a testament to how that's worked for you. I I hope so. It um it 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 does. Being um, I'm a vegan myself, which means that I don't eat any animal, anything that came from an animal, nor do I wear anything or use anything that came from an animal. And I just want to say that I'm not, unfortunately, a hundred percent perfect. I wish I were, but I think there are things hidden. And I think I think there's something like actually in the disc brakes of cars, there's something from an animal. Huh. Um, so that that kind of thing, I, um, I I'm not 100% perfect, but I strive to not exploit animals. Sure. And it has um, it, I feel great and healthy, and I'm able to work out and maintain my weight and um, feel really good. Um, and feel confident that I'm going to be okay during this time of COVID if I take the right precautions and eat well and, and take care of myself. Yeah, it certainly helps with the immune system and you're able to, uh, to fight things otherwise. So that's a very good, valid point. Well, before we wrap... Well, you're, you're an athlete yourself, aren't you? I am, and I, I try to do... Uh, I'm a, a definite car fan, but uh, one that has gone out and run many half marathons, one, one full marathon... A lot of long distance biking, and for me, uh, when you when you work out and feel good, everything just falls into place. You have the stamina to do all the things you need to do, and that could even mean that could even mean driving fourteen hour day if you need to get somewhere yeah. down the mid Atlantic or, or what have you. Uh, if you are just in in your best shape, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, things tend to fall into place. So that's a good point. Yes. Yeah, I, I do find that. If we have our if we have our diet and our exercise dialed in, and that doesn't mean to be uh, you know even have to do any marathons or half marathons, it just means having a routine about which we feel good mm-hmm. uh, and proud. Uh, just a, a small routine that we keep on a day to day basis that has huge impact on the rest of our lives. It does, including you know our experiences with cars. That's right. That's exactly right. And just the discipline of it, and uh, you just feel you feel good. And I, I'm a big believer that if you feel good, then you tend to be your best self. And if you're your best self, then per my uh, late Grandma Millie's uh, phrase, which I shared with you, Alexandra, before we really got into laying out a, a date and time for the interview, is uh, to leave all persons, places, and things a little bit better than you found it. You're picking up that piece of trash, mm-hmm. having a kind word for a stranger, um, what holding a door, whatever it might be, minor small acts of kindness, uh, in my mind, take very little effort, and you don't, you just don't know. You may have been the tipping point for someone that was just having a day that was going to go just uh, denigrate into something terrible. It may have uh, helped them in a way you'll never know. So I'm a big believer of that. Mm, that's nice. Thank you, Millie. That's right. <laughs> she was a she was a great one. Well. As we, as we wrap here, I want to give you final say. Maybe you want to share with us some of the upcoming projects you're working on. I know we had talked offline about uh, Tethered and Final 48, but I'll give you the, uh, the final turn at the wheel, if you will. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for having me on. And Yes, I have two films that were supposed to shoot during... They, they both landed right in the time when we started to go into lockdown. So 
Um, I haven't shot them yet, and I hope to be shooting them. One is a horror film called Tethered, and the other one is an independent film called Final 48. Um, they're both shooting actually on the East Coast. All right. um, so, uh, yeah. But thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, hello to all you car fans out there. I hope to see you at the next autograph signing I do at a yes. car show. Yes. Well, Carlisle Vents uh, misses you, and I'm sure would love to have you back. And, and of course, uh, you talk about Tethered and uh, that being a, a horror film. It's sort of it bookends <laughs> back to age 19 and, and Christine, and, and uh, you continue to put out great work. So thank you. Well, thank you. That's right. I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's a nice way to think of it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Alexandra, and we'll uh, we'll throw it back to Studio A. We are back to Studio A in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, USA, and with true gratitude, I would like to thank Alexandra Paul for sharing her time with us. Truly enjoyed learning more about electric vehicles, as well as some of the inside scoop on the filming of the classic horror movie, Christine. Uh, and just all the things that are going on uh, in her career and, and with her. So thank you to Alexandra. So it's time for that trivia question answer that I owe you. And the question, just to remind you, was there are definitely various estimations and, and multiple sources. No one really truly knows, or at least I should say, it's not very clear what the actual number of vehicles used to play the role of Christine in that 1983 film. What I could find, though, is allegedly somewhere between 21 and 29 cars were sourced from all across the United States to stand in as Christine. Now, to the trained eye, you will likely notice that they're not just Furies in these scenes. So there are definitely other models that were utilized. Uh, Savoys and Belvedere's were, were part of that, uh, uh, part of the fleet use. But the majority of those two dozen or so cars did, in fact, make it onto camera. Others, in fact, were simply just parts cars. And I wanted to let you know, too, while doing this week's trivia question research, I came across another interesting trivia item that I'll just give to you guys as a bonus. I want to share that with you, and that is, did you know that the filmmakers used a Ford as the engine sound for Christine's engine? Allegedly, those mechanical movie magic sounds that we hear are made from a 1970 Mustang, specifically a 428 Super Cobra Jet. And before we go, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you for coming back week after week, for being fans, being Cubers, downloading, subscribing, sharing, promoting, sending this out to your, your fellow uh, car fans, friends, uh, you name it. It means a lot. We're continuing to grow this community. We are spanning the globe and making friends each and every week. I am so grateful for all the members uh, and guests that have come onto the show, for all the work done by the Cars of Carlisle team and especially each and every one of you fans. You absolutely deserve the best, and we work diligently each and every week to keep bringing you great content. So thank you very much. We can't wait to have you come back next week. And for now, I will say drive well, be well, take care.